Hey, uh, I, I came across something I thought you might enjoy. Jake and Bessie. Jake and Bessie, they found each other at the great age of Jake was 92 and Bessie was 89 and they fell in love and they wanted to get married. They were living in a uh, convalescent home and they met each other over lunch and they just fell so in love that they decided to get married. And one day the engaged couple, Jake and Bessie, went to the local pharmacy and they saw Leon, the handsome pharmacist. So they said, excuse me, Leon, uh, do you sell medication here? He said, well, yes, we do. He said, well, sir, what about medication for arthritis, Parkinson's, and jaundice? He goes, yeah, we sell that. He says, well, do you sell Geritol and denture cream and reading glasses? He said, yes, we sell those as well. And he said, what about wheelchairs and canes and walkers? Do you sell that too? And the pharmacist said, well, yes, sir, we sell all of that. And he said, well, are you sure? How about wheelchairs and walkers? You, you do sell that, right? He said, yes. And Leon was so perplexed. He said, well, why do you ask? He said, well, this is Bessie, and she's my beautiful fiance, and we're going to get married, and we would like to register here for our wedding gifts. <laughs> Getting old is not for wimps, right? I want to speak to you tonight and continue what God has been doing. And the title of the message, The Obvious Does Not Obligate God. The obvious does not obligate our God. And I want to show you something today that is so simple, yet it is so profound. I want to teach you a biblical principle. I've heard it said that the most important thing in every church service is the preaching of the word. And I understand what they are saying, although I don't quite necessarily agree with the statement. No, I think your response to the preaching of the word is the most important thing. Because you can hear it, you can even shout, you can even do a little dance. But if you do not go home and activate it in your life, then you take the nuclear arsenal of the power of the word of God and you render it null and ineffective because of your disobedience. So it's the obedience to the preaching of the word. With that as background, would you turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 9. 2 Kings 4 and 9, it's an amazing story. And this woman, she looks at her husband. And she says to her husband in verse 9 of 2 Kings 4, Look now, I know this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. The King James Version says, who passes by us constantly. Now this is in reference to Elisha the prophet and how through the power of God he was working mighty miracles. Remember, he is the one with the double portion anointing. The anointing is the personality of the Holy Spirit. You receive it at salvation. He comes into your life. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We are Trinitarian. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is a person. You would correctly refer to him as he. He has a personality. And the personality is seen in the power of the anointing. 
Also, in that personality, he will manifest in many ways. He manifests as wind, as rain, as as fire. And, well, there are so many different ways in Scripture. Maybe we'll teach that next time. But the anointing is the personality of the Holy Spirit. And when you say, that was anointed, that worship was anointed, or that prayer was anointed, or that preaching was anointed, what you are actually saying is, the very power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of that vessel came within them, sat upon them, and we didn't hear or see them, we saw the very presence of God. We saw the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that is why when we lay hands on you and when we pray and anoint you with oil, sometimes your knees buckle. It has nothing to do with the vessel, but everything to do with the oil of anointing that's flowing through that vessel. And Elisha had that double portion anointing. And the woman says to her husband, I have noticed that the power of God is resting on that individual. And by the way, he's walking by our house continually. Well, then if you read the story on, she says, let's add on a room to our house so the prophet just won't pass us by. In essence, she is telling her husband, I want to make room for a miracle in my family. I just explained to you how you can come to church, sit in the chair, and have somebody sitting three rows ahead or three rows behind, and they're weeping, and they're calling out to God, and you sit there and say, well, I guess God doesn't love me like he loves them. No, could it be that they have made room for the miracle in their life? Could it be that they've come hungry and expecting the outpouring of God's presence? She said, I want to make room for a miracle. But notice, every day on a regular basis, constantly it says, Elisha, who represents the power of God and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, prior to Jesus coming and the birth of the church at Pentecost, Penta being 50, 50 days after the resurrection in the upper room in Acts, the second chapter, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. But prior to all of that, Elisha, represents the power of God. He's constantly passing by their house. But that didn't mean just because he was passing by, it benefited them. Oh, I want you to catch that. Just because he was passing by did not mean it benefited them. But when they made room and put in a bed and a table and a candle for the prophet, the Bible says he turned in and he stayed there and he dwelt there. Why? Because they made room for a miracle. Are you making room for a miracle? In Luke chapter 18 and verse 37, I want you to notice a biblical pattern. We serve a God of patterns. And as he dealt with natural Israel, he deals with you and I who are spiritual Israel. And you will come across biblical patterns in Scripture. And when you see them, I want to encourage you to write in the margin of your Bible. I have my grandmother's Bible, and I used to tease her. I used to say, Grandma, you wrote more in this Bible than the Holy Ghost. And some of my greatest sermons were Grandma's notes in the outside of the margin. And she would highlight in different colors. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Because we serve a God of patterns. 
In Luke chapter 18, verse 37, I want you to notice a pattern. I talked about it Sunday morning. Blind Bartimaeus was told by someone, Jesus is passing by. Jesus is passing by. Biblical patterns. Luke chapter 19 and verse 1. Jesus entered and was passing through Jericho. Biblical patterns. Mark chapter 6 and verse 48. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the winds and the waves. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He fully intended to pass them by. Biblical patterns. The English Standard Version says he meant to pass them by. So when you highlight these verses, you realize one says he's passing by, one says he's passing through, and the last one says he intended to go past them. And then you add the prophet Elijah in 2 Kings, who represents the power of God. It says he's passing through continually or daily. This is a biblical pattern. And what it is telling us is that it's not enough to know that God's spirit is here. Because God's spirit is always here. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, he said, there I am in the midst. But apparently, according to these scriptures, it is possible for God's spirit to pass us by and not benefit us until we make room for his presence in our life on a daily basis. Are you making room for him in your life? Or is he just something that you add to an already busy life in America? Is he your life? Or are you adding him to your life? In Genesis chapter 12, Pastor read it. The Bible opens by telling us something about the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 1, excuse me, chapter 1 and verse 2, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Notice that the Spirit of God is moving. You cannot say that you are a spirit-filled Christian and not be moved by the Holy Spirit to change. He will move you to change. His whole job is to make you fall in love with someone you've never seen. His whole job is to cause you to fall in love with Jesus. Every time someone is healed, every time someone is set free, every time someone is delivered, it's the Holy Spirit of God pointing you to Jesus. He's saying, isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't Jesus marvelous? Oh, isn't he glorious? He is the greatest thing. He is awesome. His whole job is to cause you to fall in love with someone you've never seen. And he comes armed with all kinds of giftings that you would fall in love with Jesus. The giftings of the Holy Spirit, the giftings of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, courteous, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, self-control. Those are all gifts that you would fall in love with someone you've never seen. Oh, I want you to understand that the Spirit of God will move you to change. If you are not changing, if you are where you were last year in your spiritual walk, something is wrong. Because he will move you to change. In John chapter 7, again, biblical patterns, verse 37 through 38, Jesus himself at the Feast of Tabernacles likens the Holy Spirit to a river. The Feast of Tabernacles is an amazing study 
and it is the ceremony where the children of Israel would go out into the wilderness every year at a certain time to thank God for the water that came out of the rock for Pastor Moses and 2.5 million Jews, roughly the size of the state of Rhode Island. It's an amazing study. And they would go out and thank God for what he did in the past. And what I find fascinating is that Jesus, the chief cornerstone, the stone that the builder would soon reject, he is standing in their midst. And they're thanking God for what he did in the past. And standing in their midst is eternity. 2.5 million Jews had to have water from a rock. United States government, the quartermaster general of the United States government figured out it would take 11 million gallons of water to hydrate 2.5 million Jews every day. And it would take 16 tons of manna to feed them. And it would cost us today $6 million a day. And two freight trains six miles long. And God didn't do it for one day. God did it for 14,600 days. That's how long 40 years turns out to be. And you come in here with your thimble full of faith wondering, God, can you do a miracle in my life? Can you really do something for me, Lord? So they're standing there. And they're thanking God for what happened in the past. And Jesus cries out. In fact, the Bible says he yelled it. And he said, he that believeth in me, out of his innermost belly shall flow rivers of living water. And of course, he's making reference to what would take place at Pentecost in an upper room as the Holy Spirit was given to the church. Rivers of living water. The Holy Spirit, like a river, will move in your life. In that river is the promise, the provision, and the power of God. In that river of the Holy Spirit is the promise, the provision, and the power of God. It's passing by. And you and I are supposed to get in contact with that river. It is not the pastor's job to get you into the river. It is not the youth pastor's job to get your child in the river. I'm hoping and praying the river is flowing in your house already. No, no, you come and you come and you get thirsty for more. It is our responsibility not just to stand on the banks of the river and watch. Listen, do you know what you will get out of this sermon, out of this message? Exactly what your faith will reach out for. Because God's power is passing by. And it's not a question of if the Holy Spirit is here. The question is, will it do you any good? Although the river is flowing, it's rising. Whenever I speak of the Feast of Tabernacles, I'm reminded of a large church I was ministering in in Southern California. The name will be not given to protect the innocent. <laughs> and they said, Pastor, you've got 22.5 minutes to preach. I said, really, 22.5? Wow, that's mighty generous of you. And they said, yeah. And I said, well, why 0.5? They said, well, at the 0.5 mark, all of our satellite churches that are watching online and this main church, they will have a mirror ball that will fall from the ceiling. 
and the lights will hit it, and all the screens will light up with pictures of Jesus riding a donkey down the Via Della Rosa. And that's when we want you to throw out the net for salvation because everybody's going to be ready. Now, you have to understand, this church, they really had it going on. They had two Starbucks in the lobby. And, and the men's bathroom had a pool table in the bathroom. It was awesome, man. And every urinal had a little TV over it that played ESPN 1, the next urinal ESPN 2, the next one ESPN 3. So I went in there, and I had my scone and my coffee, and I texted my wife. I said, I could just preach from right here. This is a man cave, man. This is awesome. And the guys were all hanging out, you know, and they're just playing pool and watching ESPN. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really cool. Well, I was doing the best I could to stay at 22.5. I really was. But what evangelist, let alone a Puerto Rican evangelist, do you know? Now, now I've got to tell you, sitting over in that far section was about 50 or 60 college kids that were home for Easter break. And they were all just rocking out, you know. And, and the praise band was amazing. They had a guy that he had a stovetop black hat, he had a long black beard, and he was just shredding like axle. And they're singing, I am a friend of God. I am a friend. He calls me friend. They're jumping and shouting, and the lights are going off, and the smoke is pouring out, and all this stuff is happening. And it looks like, my grandma would have said, it looked like hell in a handbasket. And, and it, everybody was going crazy, and they're just dancing and sitting in the center section, about eight rows of Teen Challenge. Now, they didn't attend the church, but I had just spoke of their conference, so they came out in mass, the men's ministry and the women's ministry. And they're sitting there. And so I get to the point in my message where I said, Jesus says, he that believeth in me, out of his innermost belly will flow rivers of living water. And about that time, a young man over in the college section that moments earlier was claiming his friendship with God stands up and manifested a demon. And he roared. And all those kids that moments earlier were, I am a friend of God. They all went, and they were gone. And I looked over, and you could see the terror on the faces of the people. Well, sitting on the front row were about eight pastors. They were really cute, you know, like your pastor. They were really cute. <laughs> kind of like Ken dolls, you know. They all had the skinny jeans. They had their hair just right, the little cool beard. I can't grow that beard because I go through TSA in the airport and <laughs> I fit the profile. <laughs> you think I'm joking. So I'm looking over at them. And they all have their little iPads, and they're looking at me now. And you know they're thinking, we did not discuss an illustrated sermon before this guy came. And this demon is putting on a show. He's taking over the service. So I said, Randy, you've got a problem. You either go down and explain to these guys what's going on because their face was pale, white. I mean, it was, it was, it was scary. And I'm looking at all, even the lead pastor, and they're all perplexed. And they're, what in the world's going on? You either go explain to these guys what's happening. Listen, we're talking about rivers of living water. Or you go over here and you deal with the situation 
and risk never being asked back. Now, I didn't have to do anything. Because about that time, two counselors from Teen Challenge stood up. They were Hispanic men. They had on T-shirts, they call them wife beater T-shirts, and their chinos, and they got up, and they were tatted all over, and they had little counselor badges that said counselor, and they looked at me, and they had their bandanas down to here, and they looked at me, and they said, orale, we got this, bro. <laughs> we got this, man, orale. I said, oh, really? And I don't believe they meant to knock him down. <laughs> But they got to him and they grabbed him. Now the sanctuary was pitch black. I could only see the first five rows because the light show was going off. It looked like Rascal Flats was there. It was and I'm looking and I can't see them and the three of them go to the ground. When they go to the ground, five rows of Teen Challenge students stand up, lift up their hands and they start interceding. They start calling out to God. They immediately start praying. And I can hear in the dark those Spanish guys saying, in the nombre de su Cristo, ayúdame a mí, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, set him free. Well, it really seemed like a long time. It was only about 10 or 11 seconds when this young man stands up. He throws his hands in the air. And his voice boomed through that cavernous auditorium. And he said, Jesus! I love you. You set me free. You set me free. Now, I don't know if you have ever had the opportunity to stand on a, on a bluff or a riverside and it starts to rain and then you watch the water just fill, the water just run. But that's the image I got. When hundreds of people stood, I didn't have to beg them to come. I didn't have to sell Taiwan uh, trinkets. I, I didn't have to pour 20 gallons of oil over their head. I didn't have to push them down, get them up, push them down, get them up. I didn't have to throw my jacket. I didn't have to blow on them. Rivers of living water. And they came running. Now they're laying everywhere all over the platform, on the stairs and everywhere. And I'm just standing there watching them. I looked over to the side and the pastor, the lead pastor, our eyes lock. He looks at me and he's got this look on his face, like two burnt holes in a blanket. And big old tears are rolling. He's got two couples around him. He disappears up the side aisle, and he's gone. And I said, okay, Randy, you're in trouble already. Let's have church. And there's no altar workers. There's no one there to help me. So I turned to Teen Challenge. I said, guys, let's pray down the glory. And they started praying, and they started laying hands on people. And the power of God started setting people free. About that time, about 30 minutes into the altar service, the youth pastor runs up. Now, I got to tell you about this youth pastor. He was wearing, he was wearing uh, jeans that had holes all over them. When I was a kid, we threw them away. <laughs> that kid probably paid $200 for those jeans. He had earrings here, all the way around his ear here, all the way around his ear here. He had earrings in his nose, in his lip, and this one here. He looked like a pincushion. His head was shaved on the side, and he was mohawked, and it was four different colors, yellow, pink, purple. Looked like the NBC peacock had landed on his head. 
and he comes running up to me, and he just, Pastor, Pastor, and he is pumped. Pastor, Pastor, they, they just asked me to come and ask you if you'll stay Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. And I said, well, uh, all right. And he said, they want you to come to staff meeting tomorrow. They got all kinds of questions. I walk into this, this beautiful office, and all those pastors are sitting at a long, glassy, mahogany table. And they look up at me, and their eyes are puffy. And their noses are running. And they, they look like cute little kids. <laughs> In the presence of God. Rivers of living water. And the pastor looks at me and he says, hey, I got two questions. Question number one. That kid who manifested a demon has grown up here. He's here every time the doors are open. He's grown up in our children's ministry, in our youth ministry, in our college ministry. How can we have a demon-possessed kid grow up in our church and we not know it? Second question. Did you see the two couples that were with me? I said, yeah, I saw them. He said, they are deacons in our church. Founding members. And when that young man screamed that Jesus had set him free, they were under such conviction because they've been wife swapping and living in sin for several years. So how could I have a demon in a kid that grew up in my church and major leadership in sin? And I understood why they were all crying. There comes a brokenness when the anointing moves. The anointing comes out of breaking. The anointing comes out of breaking. And I said, Pastor, the Bible has said all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each one of us, no matter who we are, we will deal with a level of sin sometime in our life. And so we must always preach about sin. But if you can have a demon in your church and it not manifest, you've got a major problem. When's the last time you called your men to a sacred assembly? Not just the ladies, but the men. A sacred assembly to fast and pray. God always looks for a man. God always, that's his levels of authority. That's his level of, God always looks for a man. Give me a man that has a heart after God. And he looked at me and he said, Randy, we've been so busy getting all the lights and the pool table and everything ready that we have forgotten the most important thing. I said, listen, my friend, those things are just bait. That pool table is just bait. The lights are just bait. I have no problem with them, but not at the expense of the Holy Spirit. And I'm deeply concerned that technology and decorations have taken the place of the Holy Spirit in our congregations. And if you were here last night, you heard me say, we want the real thing. 
oh, I don't mind the lights, but not at the expense of the Holy Spirit. They started doing the right thing, and they started experiencing growth like they've never seen before. Why? Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Friends, do you realize we have the power to stop the Holy Spirit from passing by? Right now, there is enough anointing residing in this, these pews inside of you that you have the power to stop the Holy Spirit from passing by and dwell here with us. Listen to this biblical truth. The obvious needs do not obligate God to do a miracle. The obvious needs in America, the obvious needs politically, the obvious needs culturally, the obvious needs in our public school system. And I need to say as well, when we talk about the public school, we need to pray for our Christian teachers that are on the front lines, that if it wasn't for them, we would really be in problems. Oh, come on, if you believe that, yeah, clap your hands, because they're giving their life right on the front line. And we need to have spirit-filled teachers in those classrooms making a difference. No, Jesus, just because we have a need, he wants you to know just because you have a need, if you just stand by or sit by and just watch the river pass by, you can miss all of God's provision and all of God's power. So the question then becomes, okay, Randy, what makes the Holy Spirit stand still? What makes the Holy Spirit not pass us by? What makes him have a residence in our church? I believe it's your desperation. I believe there's something about a desperate heart that stops the Holy Spirit from passing by. You see, some people do not understand our passion in a church like this. They don't understand the shouting. They don't understand the clapping. They don't understand people coming to the front and our kids lifting their hands and praising God. They look at that as so foreign. In fact, during the COVID, they couldn't understand why we had to come to church. Well, you just stay home. They try to shut the church. They don't understand people moving in that way. It's foreign to them. Others will say, well, God is sovereign and we, he will do whatever he wants to do. Yes, that is true. But I, and I understand the theology. However, at the same time, there is a biblical truth and a doctrinally based biblical truth to these scriptures that tell us Jesus is passing by. He's passing through. He intended to go past them. Now, that's about as plain as you can get. He fully intended to pass them by. But they all did something. They cried out in desperation, and Jesus changed the trajectory of where he was going. He changed the way he was moving, and he began to move to them. Why? Because people were willing to do something other than just sit there. They were willing to access more, and they said, Lord, don't pass us by. And what I'm saying to you is that we can make the Holy Spirit, who is the mirror image of Jesus Christ on planet Earth until Jesus comes again, we can literally make him stand still in your home, in your living room, in your church. We do this through our desperation, through our faith, through our honesty. It's getting real with God through more than just playing church. And that's why we worship, and that's why we sing, and that's why we play the instruments. Some people say, wow, you know what, when, when they lead worship, boy, there's energy that fills the room. That's not energy. 
No, no, no. Let me explain to you what it is. That's just not energy. It's the very presence of the Holy Spirit that is brought into the building because God inhabits the praises of his people. Oh, come on. If you believe that, I want you to praise him right now. Yes. For the Greek word inhabit means sits down upon. That literally when you begin to worship, the very same power that invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea sits down upon you. And if you were here on Sunday morning, you heard me say that the Samaritan woman caught on fire when Jesus had a conversation with her about worship. The expectancy, the power. Suddenly now, she realized because the, Jesus told her, when you worship, God comes searching for you. The God of heaven, when you worship, he comes searching for you. There's a man of the Bible that I really relate to. His name is Zacchaeus. He's desperate to see Jesus, but he is unsuccessful because the crowd is so large and he is kind of stunted in growth. He's kind of a small guy. And so he's desperate to see Jesus, so he climbs up in a tree for the Savior he could see. And I'm thinking about Zacchaeus and his desperation, and I'm reminded of the scripture that says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short. <laughs> We're all too short. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Because of the sin in our life, we're all too short to see Jesus. So he climbs up in the tree. I like Zacchaeus because he knew he had a problem. He knew Jesus was passing by and he's fallen short already and he can't see over the crowd. So he says, my answer is not in me. My answer is in the tree. Oh, catch it. My answer is not in me. My answer is in the tree. The tree for us represents the cross at Calvary. The tree enlarges Zacchaeus. You see, the tree allowed him to see Jesus, but more importantly, the tree allowed Jesus to see Zacchaeus. And when you get into the tree called Calvary, or the cross, Jesus sees you. And he said, come down out of that tree, Zacchaeus, because I'm going to your house today. He could have just passed by. He could have said, good to see you, bud. God bless you. Boy, you really went out on a limb. <laughs> No, he said, because you were willing to get out on a limb, because you did something out of the ordinary, you did something to get my attention, that I'm just not going to pass by, I'm going to go home with you, and by me going home with you, I will change the trajectory of your entire family. I will bless your whole family. I'll turn into the place where you live. It will change the future of your entire family because you dared to do something out of the ordinary. You dared to get up in a tree. You dared to get out on the limb. You stopped out and you said, Lord, I can't just let you pass by. 
I, I can't let you pass by. And if you can get into Calvary's tree, he'll go home with you. If you could do something out of the ordinary, he'll go home with you. Depression won't go home with you. Fear won't go home with you. Defeat won't go home with you. No, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he will go home with you, and he'll change the trajectory of your entire family. Understand, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He has a reputation. But when you really want to touch Jesus, when you are desperate for more of him, you can care less about social media. You can care less about what people think about you. When you really are hungry for a miracle, when you're really longing for more of him, it doesn't matter what people say. You're saying, Lord, I've got to do something out of the ordinary to get your attention. That's why we have you come to the altar. For many of you, that's out of the ordinary. And the moment you take that first step of faith, Jesus says, I see you. I see you taking a step of faith. I see you doing something out of your ordinary, out of your comfort zone. And the more you do that, I'll go home with you. What are you willing to do to get the attention of Jesus? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to give up? In Luke 18, blind Bartimaeus, the Bible says, was told, Jesus, he's passing by. And he cries out with a loud voice, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, every Jew that heard him understood what he is saying. For those of you that are frequent Bible readers, let me give you a little insight into the Jewish culture. That phrase, son of David, was reserved for the soon coming Messiah. Though Bartimaeus was blind, he is sensing in his spirit, this is the lion of the tribe of Judah. In my mind's eye, I picture every hair on his body standing attention. How do I picture that? Because I have experienced when the Holy Spirit begins to move like he did on Sunday morning and last night, every hair of my body begins to stand. My body begins to realize I'm in the presence of the master. I'm in the presence of the creator. He is almighty God. There's no possible way when it's really the Holy Spirit, there's no possible way you don't know it. And so... The people told him, the religious folks, the upper crust, where all the flakes hang out. They said, shh, this is church on the rock. Shh, you've got to be more quiet. Well, when they said that to him, the Bible says he cried out even louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. He cried even louder. In other words, he got a miracle for crying out loud. <laughs> Those are my dad jokes. In fact, turn to your neighbor and smile at them and say, you can get a miracle for crying out loud. You can get a miracle for crying out loud. Now look at me, or you can miss a miracle for just sitting there. So don't minimize my praise. 
Don't you sit there and act like these children and these young families that were up here are emotionally shallow and you're more spiritual. Because sometimes they feel a hallelujah coming on deep in their soul. And they've been fighting hell all week long. And they've been swimming upstream against a culture with no morals, ethics, or integrity. And you don't know how much hell they had to fight to get to the point where they can be in the presence of God and lift their hands and cry out to God. You might be one hallelujah away from your miracle. You might be one thank you Jesus away from your deliverance. You might be one thank you Father from your healing. You might be one shout of God away from the power of the Holy Spirit setting you free. Because he who the Son has set free is free indeed. And I want you to clap your hands and praise him right now. We need to praise him that he's still in the sin freeing business. My God. Oh, come on. Somebody praise him. Praise him. Hallelujah. So I know you're sitting there, and those of you that are spiritually mature, you're saying, wait a second now. Are you saying that if I cry out in faith and I learn to worship and I get desperate and I get in a place of faith and I cry out in prayer, understand, it's not the volume, it's the matter of the heart. Because it's not, they used to teach us, it's not how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when you get back down. They used to teach us, straighten up and fly right. Fly right. In other words, follow the principles of God. And for those of you that are spiritually mature, you're saying, you mean I can make the Holy Spirit stand still? I, I know some of you are having a little problem with the theology, but I really don't care. And the reason I don't care is all I know is that in every one of these cases, Jesus was going somewhere else and he was stopped by someone when they cried out. Biblical patterns. In Mark 6 and 48, the disciples were out in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and a storm came up. And I love it that the Bible says Jesus was on the shore, but he saw them in the storm. Have you ever been in a storm that all you could see is the circumstances? Have you ever felt like you were on the bottom floor of a two-story outhouse? And everything is piling up all around you. And you're saying, Lord, where are you? We talked about that last night. See, somebody here tonight needs to hear me say that he's watching you in your storm. He's literally standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee at 3 o'clock in the morning and he's watching That same Jesus, in the form of the Holy Spirit, is in this room and he's watching how you treat your wife in the midst of the storm. 
He's watching how you treat your husband. He's watching how you deal with the COVID. He's watching how you deal with the politics of the day. He's watching you and he's seeing, are they honorable and are they willing to cry out to me? And what blows my mind is that it says in the midst of the storm, the thing that was causing them the grief. You see, the Bible says they were watching the winds and the waves and the water is filling the boat and they're fighting and they're fighting the storm. And the thing that they were the most worried about brought Jesus to them. He came walking on the water. He came walking on their fear. He came walking on their doubt. He came walking on the things that were causing the turmoil. And he's watching them, and he's literally walking on their fear, and he's watching, and he's waiting to see, will somebody call me over? Will somebody welcome me into the boat? In my study, I said, Lord, were you really going to let them drown? I mean, come on, Lord, that's two-thirds of the New Testament. (laughs) Are you really going to let them go to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee? And God said, I'm not obligated by their need. I'm a sovereign God. Well, then what obligates you, Lord, when somebody cries out in faith? When somebody cries out and welcomes me into their human experience? They have a free will, Randy. If you want to summarize the whole message, it's this in this one line. The obvious does not obligate God. When he stops blind Bartimaeus, Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do? Well, it's obvious he's blind. Oh, I know he's blind, but does he have the faith, does he have the courage to pray God-sized prayers? How you pray will determine what kind of life you live. You pray small, ordinary, get-by prayers, you're going to lead a small, ordinary, get-by life. I've told you that already in the services that we've had. Blind Bartimaeus says, I want to see. I I want to pray a God-sized prayer. Lord, I realize the obvious doesn't obligate you, but my faith, my courage, my calling out to you. And the Lord said, because of your great faith. The obvious does not obligate God. Faith moves God. Desperation is what moves God. People crying out in faith, believing moves God. Jesus says to Bartimaeus, your faith has made you whole. And it's obvious that he's watching the disciples. And literally, I want you to get a mental picture. Three o'clock in the morning, the storm is gathering. And Jesus is just trucking on the water. And he's looking. Are they going to welcome me in? And there's somebody here, you're dealing with a storm, maybe in your family, in your finances, maybe you're dealing with a doctor's issue or doctor's report, and Jesus is waiting and he's watching, are they going to welcome me in? Are they going to lay down their self-will? And until we understand that danger and despair is not what moves Jesus, (laughs) he is stopped because somebody cried out. And when they cried out, Jesus approaches the boat, and he does something amazing. He gets in, and they're in panic. And he turns to the winds and the waves, and he says, peace, be still. And the Bible says the winds and the waves ceased. I want you to pay attention to that one little word, ceased. 
Because in the Aramaic and the Greek, to translate from the Greek to the Aramaic, the word cease means like it no longer existed. Like it no longer existed. When they made room for him in the boat, then came the miracle. Are you making room for him in your family? Are you making room for him? What do you honor in your home? Who do you honor? Show me what you honor, and I'll show you the kind of family you really are. What do you honor? I want our musicians to come quickly. As if it never existed before. Wouldn't it be amazing if you left this service saying, what happened to my disease? What happened to my depression? What happened to my fear, my addiction? I believe that tonight God could give failing marriages a breath of life. I believe that with all my heart. I believe there's no marriage too far gone that if both of them want it and invite him in, God can save it. Because I still believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to take a broken life, a broken marriage, a broken family, and bring healing. And do you realize that you could leave here tonight saying, what happened to the person I used to be? I'm not the same person I was. I've seen it happen instantaneously, and then I've seen it happen over time. But you have to get to the point where you say, Lord, I want to welcome you into my human experience. Friends, when the Holy Spirit does your miracle and brings a revival, where will you be? Will you be in the boat fighting and fighting and fighting, or will you just lay down the oars and say, Lord, come on. Come on. Maybe you're fighting because you got a rebellious child and they're an adult now and, and you're in panic mode. And the Holy Spirit is saying, when are you going to welcome me in? When are you going to lay it down? When are you going to make room for that miracle? For some of you, you're going to have to choose to make room for a miracle is to literally cut some things out of your life. I call them Johnny Rain Clouds. The people that you surround yourself with that say, you'll never get better. You'll never get a healing. You know, you'll never get past this point. Even though they're family, when the pressure is on, you have to be careful who you listen to and who you let speak into your life. And you may have to put them at arm's distance and say, no, 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 I love you, but I'm not going to let you speak that word into my life anymore. No, I'm a child of God. And you get into a small group and you get around people that can tell you, you can make it. You can be healed. Let, let us be that Simon of Cyrene and help carry your cross. Let us... Where will you be? 
Where will you be? How many by an upraised hand will say, Randy, I've got some needs and some miracles that I need in my life that if God doesn't intervene, there's no other way it could happen. Come on, if that's you right now, just lift your hand all over the room. Look at that. Look, at, look around. You're not alone. That's about two-thirds of this room. I need you, Lord. Maybe now you understand why I've been trying to get you to cry out. And again, it's not the volume of your voice. It's a matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And now you understand why Pastor Josh has us come to the altar. Because it's in the altar that you are altered. Everything I've ever done of any significance happened in an altar. I was dedicated to God as a child in the altar. <laughs> I asked my wife to marry me, and they came and they brought us to the altar. And I don't remember very many sermons that my pastor preached, but I do remember after they found out that we were engaged, they brought us to the altar and they anointed us with oil. Maybe tomorrow I'll teach you on the power of the anointing. That there's a power in that anointing. That you have a reservoir of healing in your body. You have an anointing that abides. The anointing is not so that we can be shut up in a stained glass cocoon of church and never reach out to the needy. The anointing is not so you can have a moral superiority in the face of an immoral world. No, no, the anointing comes from within you and rests upon you in times of crisis, compromise, and opportunity. You have an anointing that abides. It's that abiding anointing. And it's in this room right now. Can you sense the sweet presence and the peace of Jesus? Jesus is passing by. Hear me, hear it again. He's passing by. Will you cry out to him? Will you reach out for a miracle? Like the woman with the issue of blood, Lord, I can't just let you pass by. Are you willing in just a moment to stand and come and lay all over this altar and kneel and, and just lift your hand and say, Lord, whatever it takes, you can't just pass my children by. Lord, don't pass my, my marriage by. Don't pass my church by. Don't pass my home by. Lord, I'm ready. I, I, I've got to have your presence more than anything else. I need your presence, Lord. Would you stand right now? And if you're longing for his presence, if you need him to stop and live, if you want him to stay in your home, say, Lord, right now, I'm making the decision. As for me and my house, we will make room for the miracle. We'll make room for the miracle. And if that's you right now, you lift your hands all over the room and say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Don't pass us by. At the count of three, I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and say, if you want to get to that altar, you want to take a step of faith. If you want to move and have that altar, alter your life, I will go with you so you don't have to go alone. 
I'm going to ask the altar team, the altar workers, the prayer partners to come and just stand right down here. And I want you to get some anointing oil. And maybe I'll teach tomorrow on the power of the oil, the anointing oil. But if you're hungry for more of Jesus, if you're longing for more of him, if you realize now that the obvious doesn't obligate God and you want him to be at home in your home, in your marriage, in your relationships, then at the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to turn to that person and say, listen, let's go forward. Let's just lay in the presence of God. Let's ask God to do a miracle. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. I don't want to focus on the winds and the waves. I want to focus up my Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you come now and cause us to fall in love with someone we've never seen? Oh, Holy Spirit, you've seen Jesus. You know what he is. You know who he is. Holy Spirit, you've seen heaven. Holy Spirit, you've seen the Holy of Holies. We've never seen it. So we ask you now to come into this room to fill us, to heal us, to seal us to open doors for ministry. Move in this place. 